Good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're glad that you are here today, and it's good to uh, share this time of worship and fellowship together, and we welcome everyone here. We welcome our guests especially. Uh, You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here, and hope you'll feel very much part of our family as we worship God with one another. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets. We'd like to ask, if you would, to take those and fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. They're on the end of each row, so if you would take those and... uh, uh, put your name, address, phone number on there and check the appropriate box. We would appreciate it and pass it down the road so others will have that opportunity as well. And uh, thank you, uh, men's Sunday school class, for a wonderful breakfast this morning. We had a, a great turnout and a great meal, and uh, we are grateful for, uh, for what you do in the kitchen, and not only in the kitchen, but elsewhere as well. You are, are very important to our congregation. Also, uh, congratulations. Maggie, final four, huh? Volleyball team hit final four. Good job, good job. We're 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 so proud of of you and and, uh, and the whole team there. Uh, a few announcements I'd like to uh, call to your attention. First of all, we have begun a, a new series of Bible studies on Wednesday nights on the topic of worship. And uh, this past Wednesday, we talked about, uh, it's kind of surrounding five different areas of worship. This past Wednesday, we talked about uh, gathering, about what we're doing right now during worship, uh, the, the early parts of worship and why we gather. And so let me challenge you uh, now, even as we are gathering for worship, to ask yourself the question, why am I here? What am I doing here? What brings me here to worship God with these people every week? And just think about that as we gather for worship, because it, it's an important time. So let's be thinking about that. This coming Wednesday, our um, topic will be confessing. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that. We have our dinner at 530. Uh, I'm sorry, 545 and then our uh, Bible study at 630. And so we invite you to come and have a meal with us and then stay for our Bible study afterwards. Also, we uh, continue to need your help and uh, your support of our Upward program that's happening each Saturday. We have a couple more weeks ahead of us of games and and, um, hope that you can come and and participate in that. And also take note of our awards night that's coming up on November the 23rd, and that will be featuring Tony Wolf. Tony uh, has been with us before. He's he's a Man, I'll tell you what, he's a ball of energy, and he really gets these kids excited and uh, has a great program. And so I hope that you can uh, be a part of that as well. Our deacons normally would meet tonight, but we're going to be putting it off a week. We're going to be meeting next week instead of tonight. Uh, so it'll be next week at 5 o'clock. So don't come here tonight expecting a meeting. Uh, and, and also those new deacons who have been elected and you haven't started your term yet, we want to encourage you to co- go ahead and come to uh, the meeting next week as well. Uh, and we'll be s- trying to uh, arrange for a, a smooth transition into your, into your uh, stint as a deacon coming up. Um, Sue Berry has volunteered to, uh, to make her famous. You know, people are famous for certain things, you know. <laughs> Sue is famous for her biscuits. (laughs) She has some of the most delicious biscuits and cinnamon rolls that you have ever put in your mouth. And she is making the dough available to us. Uh, And this this will be for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. And she's getting how big? How big are the bags, Sue? Big. She, she's going like this. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's right. It's yeast bread, so it depends on when, when in the process you get it. <laughs> okay. Okay, one bag makes 30 of those tremendous biscuits. And, and you can use it to make cinnamon rolls as well. So one bag makes 30 of those, and she's making those ava- available for $15, and all of the money that she gets goes towards our mission projects. So thank you, Sue, for that. We really appreciate that, and, and I bet you'll have a lot of people taking advantage of that. So get, get your dough ready. <laughs> uh, uh, Brittany, where are you? There she is. She had an announcement as well. 
I wanted to invite um, any of the women in the church that wanted to come on December 8th. Um, Lana Hopgood has been gracious enough to host us at her house for this year's Women's Mission Auction. Um, what we do as a group is um, we have the auction and then all the money raised at the auction is the money that um, we as a group give away throughout the year. So everything we raise, we give away. If I have a penny left when we have this again the following year, they get angry with me. So we find many missions to give the money away to. Um, and what we'll do, Lana is um, going to be providing the meat and the drinks. That's right, isn't it, Lana? Okay, and then all that we ask is that everyone brings either a side dish or a dessert. And um, usually everyone brings, or most people bring, a silent auction item. Um, Sue has brought in uh, her dough before. Um, we've had pies. We've had um, homemade things that um, Amy and Larry have made. Oh, we had a cutting board last year, didn't we? Yeah. We don't get in any altercations, but we do get in heated, uh, heated auctions over these items. Um, so, and if you have anything that you'd want to send any of the men, you can uh, give it to me and I'll take it to the uh, meeting. But we'd like to invite anybody that wants to come. Really fun time, really laid back. Um, it starts at 6, probably run until about 8 or 8.30, depending on how heated we get with our auction items. So, any questions, let me know and hope to see you all there. Thank you. Great. And you, you mentioned something about pies, and that sparked something uh, uh, something that I'm reminded to, to tell you about. Uh, it, we're, we're approaching Thanksgiving. It's coming up in just a couple of weeks. And as usual, our uh, local Henderson Ministerial Association sponsors a community-wide Thanksgiving service. Normally that's on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, but we're doing a little bit different this year. We're going to do it on the Sunday night before Thanksgiving. And so that is uh, November the 22nd. It will take place at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. It'll be a different kind of a service. There's not going to be, I don't think there's going to be any preaching at this service. I thought I'd get an amen for that. Okay. <laughs> I, but, but there will be a lot of music, a lot of uh, some, some testimonies. And uh, as a matter of fact, if we want to provide some music, we can jump in there as, as well. And and the reason the reason the idea the reason the pies came to mind is that they're asking each church to provide four pies and we're going to have a time of fellowship afterwards. So if anybody wants to uh, make a pie for uh, the the community service, let me know and we'll we'll plug you in there. Let's uh, sing our song of gathering now. Uh, Father, I adore you. Let us pray together. <clears throat> o oh God, in whom our lives find meaning, by whom our lives are sustained, we offer to you our praise and thanksgiving, for you alone are the creator of the universe. Before this world existed, you were God. Before time began, you were God. And we confess that such greatness is beyond our knowing. But you have chosen to know us, to call us by name, to love us, to care for us, to become as we are, to suffer the pain that we feel and 
This is a wonder and a mystery. And while we cannot profess to understand it, we do give thanks for your grace. But there are some for whom the mystery of life has turned dark and threatening. There are those who wonder why in a world able to sustain us all, they must go hungry. There are those who are locked into a prison of poverty and they wonder how they will ever escape. There are those who suffer. Those who suffer from illness. Those who suffer in body and in spirit. Those who suffer the cold pangs of fear and the persistent pain of worry. There are those who suffer the agony of questions that have no answers. And for these we pray. And we confess, O God, that sometimes we have tried to offer answers that are too easy rather than to live with the uncertainty of questions. Forgive us when we try to reduce you to something more manageable than mysterious. Forgive us when we try to fit you into our lives rather than finding our lives in you. Help us, O God, to follow in your way always. For we pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord, our brother, and our friend. Amen. Let's join together for our responsive reading. We are gathered for worship. In a world of half-truths, we need a time of truth-telling. In a world of many gods, we need an encounter with the one true God. In a world that demands so much and yet so little of us, we need to be confronted with a gospel that will ask of us our very lives. In the name of God, we gather for worship today.
Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, your e-readers, or up on the screen. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which were worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come on down, boys and girls. I got a gift for you today. Good morning. You like surprises? I do too. But before we get to the gifts, we've we've got to have a little talk, okay? There's a, hey, there's always a price for something. Come on, guys. Come on down. So I want to talk to you about something that we all have with us today, even the adults have this with us today. No two of us are wearing the same of them. And there's a left one and a right one. Shoes. That's right. How about, check out this pair of shoes. Do you believe that these shoes were once Greg Gibson's? These are some fancy shoes, boys and girls. These are zeros. Yeah. Would that fit on that foot today? No way, Jose. I'll let you pass those around and look at them. Take a look at them, yeah. So what do we use our shoes for? To walk, to protect our feet. That's a good one. What's another one we use our shoes for? Keep from getting diseases on your foot. Very, very good. Um, I used a pair of bowling shoes this week to bowl with. And... So you didn't get hurt by the bowling balls. Yeah, and they're really kind of slick on the bottom. And if you ask Miss Jika about shoes, she'll say, oh, I think they, they're pretty, and that's why I like to wear them. No, ma'am, can't look in there yet. Sorry. So there's all different reasons that we wear shoes. Thank you. Thank you. And there is a saying that goes something like this. Listen really closely. Step into my shoes and walk the life I'm living Get as far as I have, and just maybe you will see how strong I really am and understand me just a little better. So what does that mean? Walk in my shoes and understand where I come from or where I'm going. What does that mean? Very, very good to think like other people, how they're feeling. How by walking in their shoes... Could we understand how they are feeling? How does that work? We don't actually literally step into their shoes. That's very good. We just try to understand where they're coming from. Very, very good. Do you ever see classmates on the playground or in the lunchroom that even that look sad? They ever look sad, some of your friends? They do? We have no idea what they're going through. Why? We don't wear their shoes. We don't know that path that they came through that morning. Maybe they just need somebody to listen to. Maybe their parents were fighting before they came to, to uh, school that day. Maybe they just need somebody to listen to them. Maybe they didn't have breakfast that morning and they're hungry. Maybe they slept on the street the night before. We have no idea where they're coming from. 
or why they're acting the way that they are. Maybe they just need a friend, a smile, or someone to give them a hug. We don't know unless we've walked in their shoes or try to understand where they're coming from. You know, boys and girls, God has blessed me with a lot of things, and one of them is a lot of friends. And I'm very, very grateful for the friends that God has blessed me with. You probably have some special people that you call friends, don't you? At school, at church, in your neighborhood, right? Um, Can you imagine what it would be like not having those people in your life? It would be hard, wouldn't it? I want to tell you about a new friend that I have. I just met him earlier this year. Uh, His name is Mark, and he is not from Henderson. He actually is coming back to Henderson this next Friday. And Mark has been around the world. And Mark used to be a champion boxer, boys. And he was a WWE wrestler. Mark Merrow. That's his name. You never heard of him? Well, that's his name, and he's coming back to Henderson this week. Why? Because he has a gift for talking to youth and teenagers. That's him up there on the screen. That's what he looks like. He'll be here Friday all day to talk to 2,800 kids in the Henderson County school system. When you get a little older, I have a feeling Mark will still be coming back to town and talking to you about his life then. So I hope you get to hear Mark's message one day. But until then, I want you to keep being the presence of God to others and showing God's love to others. And why do we do that? Because that's what we're called to do, to be a servant of God. Okay? Now, I've got told you I had something for you, and I do. And Miss Mary's going to give it to you when you get up to the class. But here's it is. It's a gift with a catch. Each one of you are getting a dollar. And each one of you are getting two pencils. Okay? One pencil you get to keep. One pencil I want you to share this week at school with somebody that doesn't have a pencil. You can do that. That's very, very good. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do with this dollar is I'm going to ask you to buy ice cream for someone at school this week that can't afford it. And then I'm going to ask you next time I see you, what was the name of that boy or girl that you bought ice cream for? Can you do that? Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Let's have a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for each one of these children and what they mean to us as a church as a community and a family, may we all learn the power of giving and serving others through your example. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week. Let's stand sing our offertory hymn, page number 54. Great is thy faith.
please pray with me. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. All that we need, your hand provides. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen.
How beautiful that is. And I hope that that is the prayer of our hearts, that we long to worship God as a deer pants for water. That's the longing of our heart, to worship God. How many of you have seen the uh, award-winning motion picture from the 1970s called The Godfather? Yeah, most, most of us. A lot of people have seen that. I know it was a long time ago, but some of these young folks probably going, the what? Uh, but but it was it, it, it's a it's a chilling movie. It, it's about an aging patriarch on uh, of an organized cram, uh, crime family who transfers control of his empire to his reluctant son, Michael. And we see as the film goes along what this responsibility and this power does to Michael's soul. Now, the final scene of The Godfather is particularly poignant. It is a baptismal scene, of all things. And Michael Corleone's nephew is being baptized, and, and Michael is there participating, ironically, as the child's godfather. And, and as the baptism is taking place, the film cuts back and forth from scenes of the baptism to the murders of the heads of five mafia families, murders that Michael has ordered. And then it cuts back to the baptism again. It just flips back and forth between these two images. And the images imply that the murders are taking place at the same time that the baptism is occurring. And the irony between these different scenes is amazing as the juxtaposition of the baptism and these gruesome murders takes place, the music and the voice of the priest seems to get louder and louder with each murder. And the voice reaches its loudest point when the priest asks Michael if he rejects the, the glamour of evil and he rejects Satan and all of its works. And the scene then cuts and shows Michael's rivals being murdered by his men. And then at the end of the scene, it solidifies the idea that, that Michael is now the new head of the Corleone crime family. Some of you may remember that powerful scene. It's one of the most dramatic portrayals ever filmed, not only of corruption and violence. As a matter of fact, I started to, it's on YouTube. You can go out there and see it if you want to. I started to show it today, but it's a little graphic. It's a little graphic, and I didn't want to offend anybody here. But it, it, it's, it's a dramatic scene, not only because of its corruption and its violence, but also because of the, the sheer hypocrisy of it. Here we have a baby being baptized, while at the same time, the, the godfather of this baby, promising to be a good Christian example for his nephew, is having all of his rivals murdered. But one commentator suggests that the juxtaposition of these merciless images from the godfather is no more jarring than the words of Jesus. In today's lesson, speaking of some of the teachers of the law in his time, Jesus says they devour widows houses and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. Now, let's think about that for a minute for a minute. This is this is certainly a, a disturbing connection. Devouring widows houses and saying long prayers now. I confess, I have personally been guilty from time to time of saying some long prayers. And from time to time, I have, I've also been guilty of devouring unhealthy junk food. But I hope I've never been guilty of devouring a widow's house. So what's Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus warned the people of his day to watch out for those teachers of the law who seek praise from common folks while at the same time abusing their positions of power. Listen to what Mark says. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. 
They like to walk around in their flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and at the places of in the places of honor at the banquets. Now, all of that seems fairly harmless, though maybe a little bit hypocritical. Flowing robes and important seats. I mean, who among us doesn't like to dress nicely and and uh, and be treated with honor? Who doesn't like the best seats in the sanctuary or the, well, probably nobody because nobody's sitting there. <laughs> but, but who doesn't like the box seats at the stadium? I mean, think about that, you know. But, but it is Jesus's, uh, it, it is, it is Jesus's next charge that's really jarring. Because he says that these religious leaders Devour widows' houses, and for the sh- and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. And then he says these men will be punished most severely. And what's what's he talking about here? Well, we are told that in Jesus's day, some of these religious bureaucrats made their living by making wills and conveying property, and and some of them abused their position. For example. When a man died in, in, in those days, when a man died in those days, these temple officials would make a visit to the man's widow under the guise of counseling her about settling her husband's estate. Now, in those days, a wife did not inherit her husband's property or his money. Uh, and so a lot of times people would leave their entire estate to the temple. And so the temple, these temple officials would evict these poor widows from their homes and take their property for themselves. It was a despicable practice. And Jesus gave it the condemnation that it deserved. Now, of course, we may think that we're beyond unjust things like that, but folks, we're, folks, we're not. There are things like that that occur even today. You, you see it you know, on, on television crime show. You'll see they'll often portray greedy clergy persons taking advantage of weak, vulnerable people. And, and this, too, is a despicable practice. Of course, TV producers ignore the tens of thousands of good clergy persons out there who faithfully serve their people, uh, sometimes under very difficult circumstances. But there are a few rotten apples in every barrel. Uh, pastor Scott Knowlton gives us a couple of examples. He, he tells about a well-known pastor who was asked by a, a, a prison ministry to come and speak with the inmates at, at a particular prison. But a problem arose when the, the prison ministry and this pastor could not agree on how much money the pastor would receive for preaching at the prison. And the result was that the pastor didn't come. He didn't come to the prison. Now, to me, that's unimaginable. Especially since visiting prisoners is one of the directives of the gospel. It tells us. When I was a prisoner, you came to see me. But it happens sometimes. Knowlton also talks about watching a TV evangelist soliciting, soliciting gifts for his ministry. And he was offer, offering to, to, quote, give his viewers a study Bible. For a $125 donation to his ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems to me like a pretty expensive Bible. Of course, it also came along with a, a promise that anyone who gave money to the ministry would receive a hundredfold in return. I'd like to say that Bernie Madoff had nothing on that evangelist. Folks, in my opinion, fleecing gullible religious people out of their money through television appeals, is just as evil as devouring widows' houses in Jesus' day. And these teachers of the law that Jesus described, they abused their influence with these widows. They took advantage of their helpless condition to steal their property. And the fact that they did this in the name of religion makes their sins particularly odious. And as Jesus said, these men will be punished most severely. One translation infers that they will will be damned to hell. 
And the fact that they use long prayers to hide their cynical practices just adds to the detestable nature of their sin. But here's what's important. You see, at this point in our scripture, we have the most amazing transition between two different scenes. And I don't think that these can be accidental. I think there's a connection between these two scenes because the scene cuts from the court of the Gentiles where Jesus has been teaching and condemning these religious leaders who take advantage of the poor. And the scene cuts to the court of women. And against the wall of the courtyard, there are 13 trumpet-shaped vessels for collecting the offerings of the people. And Jesus is just kind of sitting back, taking it in, observing how the Passover crowd is putting their money into the treasury. And in contrast to the many wealthy people who are giving large amounts of, of silver and gold coins with a lot of hoopla and pomp, His attention zeroes in on one poor widow. She is dropping into one of these vessels two small coins. They were called lepta. It's the smallest bronze Jewish coin in circulation. It's worth only about a penny, probably even less than a penny. And Jesus looked at her gift given in secret, without any show, or with expecting no praise. And Jesus said, I want you to know that this poor woman put more into the treasury than all of those others combined. For they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In other words, she gave the church her last two cents. Now, we might say, what wonderful faith in God. And it was. But here's what both disturbs me and also gives me hope. What if she was one of the widows who had actually been victimized by an unethical temple official? Now, think about that for a moment. Is that why these two scenes are connected together? Are we to assume that her house was devoured by these religious leaders? If it is, then her faith is even greater than we think. You see, she... She may have been giving her last few cents, while at the same time, she had every right to be angry with the religious authorities. Now, there are people in churches today who have been hurt by clergy persons or by other church leaders or perhaps by the church itself. And you may be one of those people. And it, and it may not have been intentional. Most pastors are ethical, caring people, but not all. And some churches are quite rigid and judgmental, and that attitude often results in hurt feelings. And, you know, as is often said, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's true sometimes. And what is the response of Christian lay people who have been hurt by someone who was a representative of the church? Well, a lot of them drop out. But thankfully, some hang in there and they stay committed to their church because somehow they are able to separate their hurt by someone in the church from their commitment to God and their commitment to their church. And they are greatly to be praised. This widow in the temple was faithful in her commitment, so much so that Jesus noticed her and held her up as an example for everyone else. And she was faithful in spite of the fact that she could have easily had issues with the church. She could have also been angry with God. It would have been very easy, very human for her to have issues with God as well as with the temple. I mean, after all, she was a widow. She could have blamed God for taking her husband away from her. And that happens sometimes. 
It's understandable. It's a very human thing to blame God for our hardships. And this widow could have also been angry with God because of her poverty. That happens as well. Fact is that people get angry with God over a lot of things, all kinds of things, sometimes silly things. I, I, I heard one, one man tell about an incident that happened when he was about seven years old. He lived on a, a dairy farm and he was given the responsibility for bringing the milk cows in from pasture every afternoon when, after school to be milked. And he'd have to separate the milk cows from the other cattle that were allowed to stay out in the, in the pasture to graze. But on one particular afternoon, the milk cows just didn't want to come in. They wanted to stay out there with the other cows. And he says he would get one or two headed in the right direction, and then they'd run around and circle back. And when he chased after them, they would dodge to the side and just stand there and look at him like they were playing a game. And this young boy got madder and madder and more frustrated as he tried to herd these cows and he became exhausted from running and shouting. And finally, with tears in his eyes and his face red with anger, he stopped, looked straight up in the sky and shouted at God, this is all your fault. He just knew that God was up there and could could have done something about his problem with the cows. But for some reason... God didn't seem to be paying much attention. He had this powerful sense that God knew everything about him, but that afternoon, God just wasn't helping. Now, we could pass that off as the immature theology of a seven-year-old. But haven't many of us felt that same way as adults? Life can sometimes be hard. And God can sometimes seem non-responsive, though God is always there. So getting angry with God is a normal experience. But the amazing thing is that there are so many people who have been hurt by life or who have been hurt by the church who do not transfer their feelings of anger to God. They may have felt that way at one time in their their life, but somehow their faith in God has conquered their feeling of betrayal. And with time, they have remembered that God is the best friend that they could ever have in a time of hurt. You have heard me speak before of a man named Viktor Frankl. Frankl was a, a Jewish psychologist he was a prisoner of war uh, in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. While seeking to survive the, the horror of his imprisonment, Frankel began to observe his fellow prisoners in the hopes of discovering what coping mechanisms would help him endure this horrendous existence. And what Frankel discovered was this. Those people who could not accept what was happening to them, those people who could not make their present suffering fit into their fate, who could not find its meaning in their worldview, they were the ones who lost all hope. And eventually they gave up and died. But those who were able to find a meaning from their faith to fit their circumstances were also able to find a hope for a future beyond their present suffering. And so they they could accept what they were enduring as a part of their existence. And they survived. Apparently, this poor widow in Jesus' story was in that group. She was able to incorporate her present condition into her faith and find meaning in it. And so her faith in God remained strong, even though her life was crashing down around her. And she knew that that when she threw those last two cents in that offering plate, she knew that God was going to take care of her. He would provide somehow. She would survive. Which obviously shows us that she was a woman of courage and maturity and strong, strong, strong faith. 
Jesus praised her because she gave out of her poverty and she gave everything that she had while others had given out of their abundance at no real cost to themselves. In her sacrificial gift to God, looking for no, no uh, praise, no acclaim, she completely trusted God to provide for her needs. And so Jesus used her as an example to teach his disciples the value that God places on wholehearted commitment. Now, I don't think it was an accident that Mark places these two stories side by side. One story about religious men who took advantage of people's piety, especially widows, and actually stole their property. They will be severely punished, said Jesus. The other one about one of those widows who may have been taken advantage of. And Jesus praises her for her total commitment to God. Even though she had practically nothing left, and even though she had every right to be angry with the temple and with God, what did she do? She gave what she had to the Lord. Very few people are capable of that kind of faith. And as Jesus said about the widow, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others combined. For they gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. She gave her all to God. Because obviously, at some point in her life, she had already given her life to God. And this is my prayer. That each of us here today would follow her great example. And give our lives fully and wholly and completely to the Lord. Amen. What a great song to end with, our closing hymn for today. Have thine own way, Lord. Uh, this could be written by this poor widow, I think. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me and make me after your will. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. That's the prayer of someone who has fully and totally and completely given their lives to God. We are saying to God, I trust you. Though I may not have much, though I don't have fancy clothes or a lot of money, or drive a fancy car, though I don't, though I, life is, seems crashing down upon me, I trust you, God, because I know that you've been, for, been there for me always. And so I'm trusting you now to have your way. Have your way. Let us sing together our closing hymn as a prayer. Have thine own way, Lord.
go from this place with God's righteous yearnings for you etched upon your mind. Tie them as memos on your finger lest you forget. Go from this place remembering that our God remains faithful forever. Our God provides. Our God watches over us. And our God reigns forever. Amen.